There's an old story told of an African king who had a close friend who had the habit of making the remark, this is good about every occurrence in life, no matter what it was. So one day, the the king and his friend were out hunting. The king's friend loaded a gun and handed it to the king. But as the king, he, he loaded it wrong, and so when he fired it, his thumb was blown off. This is good, exclaimed his friend. The horrified and bleeding king was furious. How can you say this is good? This is obviously horrible. The king put his friend in jail. A few days later, the king went hunting by himself. Cannibals captured him and took him to their village. He tied his hands, stacked some wood, set up a stake, and bound him to it. And as they came near to set the the fire, they noticed that the king was missing a thumb. Being superstitious, they never ate anyone who was less than whole. They untied the king and sent him on his way. Full of remorse, the king rushed into the prison to release his friend. You were right. This was good. The king told his friend how the missing thumb saved his life and added, I feel so sad that I locked you in jail. That was such a bad thing to do. No, this is good, responded his friend. Oh, how could that be good, my friend? I did a terrible thing. I owe you my life. It is good, said his friend. Because if I wasn't in jail, I would have been hunting with you and they would have killed me. (laughs) That's a rather amusing story. Probably doesn't tell us the whole truth, but it captures something of the truth. That God, that we read here about in Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is one of the best known, best loved verses in all the Bible. It's a precious and profound promise. Indeed, it's a life-altering, perspective-altering promise. And I believe it's a promise that we all need to be reminded of as we begin this new year. Isn't it the case that as we stand at the outset of this new year, much is unknown to us and uncertain We don't know what this week has in store for us. We don't know what this month has in store for us, never mind this year. But Paul tells us here that there is something we know. Look at what he says, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. The good things, the bad things, Everything, all things, everything that's happened to us in our past, if we're believers, everything that's happening to us in the here and now, and everything that will happen to us in the future, God will work them together for his ultimate good. This is an astonishing and astounding promise that we should meditate on as we begin this new year together. Now, it is not my usual practice to preach one single verse from the Bible temptation of every preacher that does this sometimes is you can make a verse out of its context, a pretext for any argument you want to make whatsoever. But I want us to study this verse in its biblical context. I want us just to look at it very straightforwardly. We're going to walk through it statement by statement. 
And by way of introduction, let me just put it in its biblical context. This verse is found at the heart of Romans chapter 8. One of the most loved chapters in all the Bible. And this is a chapter that is all about the believer's eternal security in Christ. It begins in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It ends with this glorious assurance that there is nothing, nothing that could ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This chapter was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration to give every Christian a rock-solid confidence and assurance that we are safe and secure in Jesus Christ. And right in the middle of it, we get this glorious promise, Romans 8, verse 28. And here we discover the basis of our confidence and assurance. It is the sovereign will and the gracious work of our God in Christ Jesus. Now just look at verse 28 again. Those opening three words, they're crucial. Paul begins and he says, and we know. As we begin our study of this verse, we've got to feel something of Paul's confidence. And we know. It's actually striking in the context of this chapter because back in verse 26, which we read from, Paul has just said that there are things in life that we don't know. In fact, sometimes when we're suffering, Paul says in verse 26, we don't know what we ought to pray for. And so the Spirit has to help us in our weakness. But even when we don't know what we ought to pray for, there is something that we can know for sure and certain that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And notice He doesn't say, and we hope this, or we feel this, or we think this. No, 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 we know this. This is going to be a, a, a deep, unshakable, unwavering confidence in the plan and the purpose of Almighty God. Paul writes this so that we too would share in his mindset, that we too would share this deep conviction. Paul knew that beyond any shadow of a doubt, all things work together for good. Those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. Let me ask you this question. Do you know this? Do you believe this? If you're in Christ Jesus, do you believe that God is working all things in your life together for his ultimate good? I don't know about you, but I know my own heart and my own soul or sometimes I don't know this in the sense that I, I can so quickly forget this. Especially when I need to know this, when I'm suffering or when I'm struggling. I've said this many a time before. One of the perennial problems that plagues God's people is that disease called spiritual amnesia. We're so prone to forget the things that matter. You know, it's part of Satan's subtle strategy to get us to forget. He loves to undo, undermine our confidence and our certainty in, in God's word and God's promises and God's plan. Just, just remember back to the Garden of Eden. He's been doing it from the beginning. What does he do to Eve? He gets her to doubt God's word. 
to distrust God's promise and God's good purposes. He deceives her even into believing that God was holding back something good from her. He's been doing it ever since. Every time you and I sin, it's because we doubt God's word, we distrust his promises and his purposes, and we fall into the, the faulty thinking that God must be withholding something from us. But brothers, And sisters, you and I need to know that Satan's seeking to undermine us, undo our assurance and our confidence of God. And so what better way for us to give our attention to this promise of this new year to be reminded of this glorious truth. You know, R.C. Sproul used to say this, it's one thing to believe in God. It's quite another thing to believe God. Faith involves living a life of trust in the Word of God. Admittedly, this is one of the most difficult truths of sacred Scripture for us to believe. God's working all things, all things, together for good for those of us who love Him and are called according to His purposes. As we work our way through this verse, these are the things we need to know. Number one, this promise is exclusively for the people of God. And we know that for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purposes, he works all things together for good. Uh, Paul here uses two descriptions for the Christian. Those who love God, those who are called according to his purposes. It's two different ways of saying the same thing. This promise is for Christians. And, it's, and these, both these descriptions are really helpful because one's from the human perspective, those of us who love God, it's a description of being a Christian from a human perspective, and then the other one who are called according to his purposes, it's a description of being a Christian from God's perspective. Do you love him? Well, First John chapter 4 verse 19 tells us we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. If you're a Christian here this morning, it is not reason for boasting or pride. It is cause for humility. Your love for God, my love for God is not something I brought about. We were not born loving God. No, by nature as sinners, we, we are born at enmity with God. We're his enemies, objects of his wrath. But the reason we love him is because he first loved us. Our love to him is in response to his initiative. He made us alive. He opened our eyes to see his son and the finished work of his son on the cross. You know, when Paul describes us there at the end of the verse as those who are called according to his purpose, Paul is making it abundantly clear. This is not a promise for every person on the planet. It is for those who are in Christ. And and just as a pastoral aside, This is a verse that is often taken out of context and it can be misapplied. You cannot apply this verse to someone who is not a Christian. And sometimes one of the most harmful things is to take this verse and try and apply it to a non-Christian. All things work together for good in the end. Nope. That's not what the Bible teaches us. But for God's people, it is. 
So we're told that this promise is not for all people, it's for God's people. The second thing that Paul says we need to know is, yeah, this promise might not apply to all people, but it applies to all things that happen in the lives of God's people. You see that statement there? And we know that for those who love God, he works all things. All things work together for good. Now that that word all poses a real challenge here. Does Paul mean all? All things? The good, the bad, everything? Yep. All things. Question. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Every detail, every circumstance, every situation, if you're a believer in Christ, God uses it, works it together to cause his ultimate good. Now, let me just say, you know that opening illustration, you know where it breaks down? You know when someone loses their thumb? That is not a good thing. You know when someone suffers? You know when there's evil? That is not good. And that's not what this verse is saying, is that all things in life are good. It's saying that all things will work together for good. It's not good when someone we love dies. It's not good when someone we love gets a bad diagnosis. It's not good when something goes wrong in our life. But what Paul wants us to know in these verses is that he will use every event, he will weave them together, every facet in our life, to work out that which is very best for us. All things. Suffering, sickness, even sin. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? It's told to us in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Joseph was the favored son of his father Jacob. We read there in Genesis 37 that Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other brothers. Such was his father's love for his son that he gave him that coat of many colors. He was set apart, the standout son. Joseph then received dreams from God, and in the dreams, he dreamt that one day all his family would bow down and serve him. And in his naivety, he went to his brothers and he told them that this was the dream that he'd been given. Do you remember their response? plotted to kill him. They ripped off his multicolored coat. They would later dip it in blood and take it to his father and say, Joseph was killed by an animal. But Reuben stepped forward and said, no, we'll put him in the pit. And then when there was that caravan of slave traders going by, they sold their brother into slavery in Egypt. And remember, he ended up in Potiphar's household. He was in charge of all of Pharaoh's household. And Joseph, because he was one who knew and loved God, he rose through the ranks and he was put in charge of all of Potiphar's household. But the Bible tells us, doesn't it? It tells us that Joseph was a handsome man. And Potiphar's wife took a liking to him. And she tried to get him into bed with her. But righteous Joseph resisted and he ran. And as he ran, Potiphar's wife managed to grab hold of his cloak. And so she made the false accusation that 
Joseph tried it on with her. And so this rags to riches story turns to a story where him who is in charge of Potiphar's household is now, now found himself in a prison. And there in prison, Joseph made friends with two of the inmates, a cupbearer to the king and a baker. And they both had dreams. And Joseph interpreted their dreams. And the cupbearer got out of prison and he said to Joseph, I'll remember you and I'll get you free. But he didn't. He forgot Joseph. And he had to spend two more years languishing in prison. And then Pharaoh had a dream. And no one in all the land could interpret the dream. And then the cupbearer remembered. Joseph can interpret dreams. Joseph interpreted the dream. For seven years, there'll be great plenty. And then for seven years, there'll be a famine in the land. And what did Pharaoh do? He made Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And when the seven years of famine happened, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt and they bowed down And they asked for food. And then Joseph got him to bring his father and all the family. And they settled in Goshen. And you remember how the story ends in chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph saying to his brothers, you intended to harm me. You meant it for evil. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. All preachers say, there's the Romans 8, 28 of the Old Testament. Now, just think about this story, right? Just stand back from it for a minute. Did God work all things together for good? Did God use Jacob's favoritism of his son so that his brothers would envy him and they would eventually be sold into slavery? Yes, he did. Did I say it? Did God use Joseph's brother's sin of selling him into slavery to save them? Yes, he did. How about Potiphar's trust in Joseph? How about Potiphar's wife's lust and then lies regarding Joseph that led him to be in prison? Did God use that? Yes. Did God use the, 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 the two fellow inmates, the cupbearer and the baker? Even the cupbearer's forgetfulness? Yes, he did, because when Pharaoh had the dream, Joseph was still in prison, and the cupbearer remembered. Did God use Pharaoh? Yes, he did. Did God work all things together for good? Yes, he did. Now, I need to nuance this just ever so slightly in this sense. Does God use sin for his, for a, for a greater good? You need to really tread carefully here. We know that God is not the author of sin. God is never behind evil. But God can and does use sin and evil in his great plans for good. And nowhere is that seen more clearly than in the story and in the life of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the most heinous sin ever committed in history. It was the premeditated murder of the second person of the Godhead. 
It was planned by the Jewish leaders. It was carried out by the Romans. But it was all part of the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God the Father. So here's, here's one of the most mysterious and glorious truths ever. God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks, as the Puritans used to say. God can take the worst circumstances and work them together for the greatest good. And I have to ask you and I the question, do you believe that? Do you know that? Everything in your past, if you're a Christian, everything in your present, everything in your future, the worst, God can use it for his ultimate good, for our ultimate good. You know, you know the doctrine that we're speaking about here? It's a doctrine that's all over the story of Joseph. It's a doctrine that's all over our lives. The providence of God. His good purposes in our lives. Sovereignly superintending our lives. Every detail, every circumstance, every situation. Now see, see what it says here? All things work together for good. It's God who makes all things work together for good. And, and just when you, when you meditate on that, right, just remember who God is. He's all loving. That means ev- in every act that God ever does for his people, it's done out of love. No one loves you like God loves you. You don't love yourself like God loves you. Your spouse doesn't love you like God loves you. Your parents don't love you like God loves you. God loves you with a steadfast, unfailing love. But he's not just all loving. He's all knowing. He knows everything about you. He knows what makes your heart ticks. He understands your motives. He understands your desire. He knows everything about the circumstances of your life. But he's not just all loving and all knowing. He's all wise. God knows what is best. God knows. Well, we need to go through to shape us and mold us into the person he wants us to be like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not just all-knowing, all-loving, all-wise. He's also all-powerful. He can do what he plans and purposes to do in your life and in my life. You see that, that phrase there when it says work together? It's one word in the, in the Greek. And, and we, we could parse the, the verb here, but, but I'm not going to do that. Just to say this, see when it says they're work together, it's in the present tense. That means this. Every moment of every day, God is working all things in your life for good. Right now. Right now. God is doing 10,000 things you don't know for your ultimate good if you are his son or daughter. You know, the, the hardest part of being a believer is that sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes we don't know God's good purposes. We can't see them. But Paul says we need to know them. God is always working all things together for good. Uh, one preacher said it like this. We can be assured that whatever difficulty he has allowed in our lives has been father filtered through his fingers of wisdom and love. Here's the million dollar question. What is the good? All things work together for good. What is the good? The answer's in the next verse. 
Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Here, here's the good. To be conformed to the image of his son. Why? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's the good. Here's the ultimate purpose. God's working all things together to make you and I more like Jesus and also so that Jesus might have all the glory, all the preeminence. God works all things together for good, meaning that he, make, he, 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 he works in our lives to make us more like Jesus and so that Jesus might receive all the glory. So the first thing we need to know is that this promise is only for the people of God. The second thing we need to know is that this promise applies to all the things that happen in the lives of us, the people of God. The final thing we need to know, this is a promise that is concerned ultimately with the good purposes of God. You know, when, when we think of that word good, you and I, when we think of good, you know, we think of something that's pleasing and satisfying. And if we were in charge and we were to decide what's, what's the good for me, we, we would get it totally wrong. There is no greater good than for you and I to become more like Jesus. To think like him, love like him, walk like him, serve like him. You know, in 2023, God's good purpose for you and I and all things that will happen is to make you and I more like Jesus. He's going to use trials. He's going to use triumphs. He's going to use suffering. He's going to use the mountaintop highs. He's going to use all things to mold you and make you more like Jesus. And, and, and do you know when he's doing that? He and he alone is going to get all the glory. The, the purpose of God doing this is so that we, he might be glorified in us and through us. Now, this is one of the most spectacular things about the ending of this verse. This verse is for all who are called according to his purpose. And as we've been saying, the purpose of God is that we might become more like Jesus and he might be glorified. But I need you to know this. You and I are not Christians by accident. We are Christians on purpose. On God's purpose. He chose us. He loved us. We love him because he first loved us. We are Christians because he called us. And, and, and the call here is the effectual call. The call that we can't resist. And we're called according to his purpose. That is his determined will. That he will do without fail. God's purposes always will stand. He will make you and me more like Jesus. It will happen. And he will get all the glory. You know, as we, we, we stand at the outset of this year, this should fill us with hope. This should fill us with confidence. This should give us assurance. R.C. Sproul, to quote him again, he says, there's no other text that demonstrates so clearly and magnificently the beauty of God's sovereign providence than this one. The master plan of God's redemptive providence is he brings good out of evil, he brings glory out of suffering. Verse 28 assures us that 
No suffering is wasted. And God is always at work for our good and his own glory. John Piper says this, if you live inside this mass of promise, your life is as rock solid as the rock of Gibraltar. Nothing can blow you over when you're inside the walls of Romans 8.28. Outside of Romans 8.28, all is confusion and anxiety and fear and uncertainty. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're not in Jesus, maybe the reason you are here and the sovereign purposes and plan of God is that you might come to know Jesus. You might come to have this confidence in Jesus and it comes from trusting in his son and what his son has done on our behalf. You know, um, you know the name Corrie Ten Boom? She's probably the one, in, at least in recent history, that, that gets the credit of speaking about the master tapestry. God being the one who, who weaves our lives together like threads and he makes them beautiful. And you all know how, the, how, how, how a tapestry is like. If, if you look at the back side of it, it looks like a total mess. It looks like a child has been at work. Like, there's no new, it lacks nuance, it lacks clarity, it lacks detail, it's not smooth, it's in knots, there's all these loose ends. But then when you, you look at the front side of the tapestry, it is breathtakingly beautiful. And this is the perfect illustration of Romans 8.28. You see, in this life, sometimes we look at our lives and we look back in the past. We even look at the present and it's a mess. So many loose ends. So many rough parts. But you know what we don't see? But one day we will see is the front side of the tapestry. And God is weaving it beautifully for our good, for his glory. Let me finish the sermon with reading Corrie Ten Boom's poem, The Master Weaver's Plan. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forgets he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can begin this new year being reminded of this promise that we are to know deep down in our hearts. We know that for those who love you, all things work together for good. Because we are called according to your purpose. And your purpose is to make us more like Jesus and to get all the glory for your son. God, we thank you that we can have such confidence in you because of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, because you've given us to him.
We can trust you. If you did not spare your own son but gave him up for us all, how will you not also graciously give us all things we need for this life? God, we thank you that even in the light of death, of suffering, disease, of famine, things in the past and things in the present and things to come, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I pray that, that, that the hope and the assurance, the peace that comes from knowing this truth might be at work in us, not just today, but all and every day. God, we are so pro- prone to forget this glorious promise. And so we pray that not only would we memorize it, but we would pray it, that we would live in light of it, We would trust you, the all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God with our lives. We pray that in this year, even though we might not see it for ourselves, but that others around us would see Christ being formed in us, that we would love like him, serve like him, live like him, or grant us the mind of our Savior. May it dwell in us minute by minute, moment by moment. May we bring the fragrance and the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. And may it be used to the end of the saving of many lives. We pray this in his precious and powerful name. Amen.